The Athletic. It's Straight Out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On today's pod, De Bruyne's X-Factor means it's unlucky 13 points behind the leaders for Chelsea. There's the latest episode of the Romelu Lukaku drama. We look ahead to the midweek trip to Brighton and round up the rest of the Blues news. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight out of Cobham. Now, every Monday is Blue Monday for us, isn't it? It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, here alongside the Athletics Chelsea expert, Liam Toomey. RIP title race. We hardly knew ye. <laughs> yeah, we really didn't. Although, a couple of months ago, felt like we might. Uh, Sam Parkins also with us. Morning, Sam. Morning, Matt. Uh, well, if it wasn't over before, as Liam says, the title race surely been run after Saturday. We'll look back on Chelsea's defeat at Manchester City next. Cancelo picks out De Bruyne with a nice ball. Rides the challenge of Angolo Kante. Takes the shot. Oh, brilliant! Absolutely superb! Kevin De Bruyne with a wonderful goal for Manchester City. No hard feelings today for the performance and, and of course, absolutely zero doubt about our mentality, attitude, commitment. It's all good. It's, uh, today it was about little things. Today it was about individual quality up front. Manchester City 1, Chelsea 0 then. The Blues undone by Kevin De Bruyne's quality and Chelsea's lack thereof in front of goal on Saturday lunchtime. Liam and I were both on hand at the Etihad Stadium. Liam sent us this report within seconds of the final whistle blowing. So the Chelsea fans are filing out of the Etihad Stadium away to my right. A couple of them are still waving their inflatable European Cups, um, but it seems a bit more forlorn and gloating at this stage. It's another pretty miserable game for Chelsea against Manchester City, in some ways similar to the 1-0 defeat at Stamford Bridge in September. I mean, they certainly were more of an attacking threat this time, Chelsea. Had some good chances. Lukaku in particular really wasted two golden opportunities to change the entire narrative around him. But I think it, it's another game that Chelsea will come away from thinking that they've left something on the table in an attacking sense against the best team in the country. Um, it's probably another game that Tuchel will come away from thinking that maybe he got his setup wrong. They stuck with the back three with two quite slow defensive wing-backs in Alonso and Azpilicueta. They pressed better than at Stamford Bridge and created a few more turnovers, but the front three really didn't click at all. Christian Pulisic, Hakim Ziyech did very, very little throughout the game. Um, showed next to no chemistry with Lukaku. Lukaku, who himself in this kind of 3-4-2-1 formation, was just asked to try and win high ball after high ball. Not, I don't think he won a single one against Dimeric Laporte. Um, he spun John Stones once early, and that was about it in terms of what he was able to do as a physical presence in this game. Uh, and in the end, I mean, even a win here was probably not going to change the outcome of the Premier League title race this season. We know Manchester City are the best team over 38 games. They look set to prove it. The roar at full time here um, really suggested they believe they, they've kind of won the league now. 
Uh, and Chelsea just have to try and focus on getting this attack properly clicking for the big Champions League games to come and the business end of the, the domestic cups. There's plenty still to play for, plenty still for Tuchel to win, but you know, Manchester City have confirmed pretty much what we all suspected, which is that it won't be the Premier League title this season. There you go, Liam. You've had 48 hours and a little bit more to stew on it. Do you still hold the same opinion on Monday as you did on Saturday? can't even remember what I thought on Saturday, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, apologies for my voice note voice, by the way. And to, be, to try and be heard above the sound system and the general din, I, I don't like what my voice does. Um, it's, it's a very strange pitch. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a very frustrating game, I'd imagine, for most Chelsea fans who watched it. Um, the the travelling supporters had a little bit of fun at the start with those inflatable European Cups, but that was about as good as it got. And uh, just a lot of the same problems, particularly in attack, just incredibly poor decision-making. Um, I wrote my match piece specifically on Lukaku because obviously he's all that everyone's talking about at the moment and the chronic lack of understanding that is still you know, persisting between him and the, what seems like the rest of the team. It looks like he's playing a different game or trying to play a different game from, from the rest of his teammates. And at the other end... I, you know, the, the first sort of two thirds of Tuchel's game plan actually worked. Chelsea defended Man City pretty well, as they did at Stamford Bridge for, for long spells. But they were more of a factor going forward in the game because they turned City over numerous times in quite valuable areas of the pitch and then just um, screwed it up time and again once they had the ball in those positions. And it, it probably looked like it was it was heading towards a draw. I I had to say, you know, the impression I got in the ground was that City wouldn't have been too unhappy with that. I think they they would have taken a draw, but a moment of brilliance from Kevin De Bruyne, not the first time he's he's done that against Chelsea in his time at City, and and um, well, it just kind of put an exclamation point, really, didn't it, on the fact that Manchester City are going to win this Premier League title. They're probably going to win it by a lot, um, and Chelsea now need to focus on on other competitions, and in particular trying to get this fit with Lukaku right for the for the other games that matter coming up. Well, Sam, you're our big number nine up top, so you're the most qualified of any of us to talk about this Lukaku issue. I want to do it in the context of the post-match comments from Thomas Tuchel, who said... Sometimes he needs to do the service. I think he's included in, in this. Uh, he had many ball losses without any pressure and many ball losses in, in, in very promising circumstances. He had a huge chance, so he's included in this. Uh, it's not on. It's an, of course, we want to serve him, but he's part of the team and, and the, 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 the performance up front, like especially in first half, was, was uh, we can do much, much better and we need to do much better because we had, we had uh, a, a lot of transition ch- chances in first half already. Where are you? are you? Are you Chelsea not playing to Lukaku's strengths or Lukaku's not, not pulling his own weight? And, and how impactful on this whole situation has that Sky Italia interview been? I'm a bit of both, but I'm probably more with Thomas Tuchel from the weekend. I think it's very difficult when you're playing against an opponent who squeezed the game. Uh, Obviously, an outstanding side. A lot of the balls into him were fight balls. But I thought the first chance that they had in the counter-attack that Liam alluded to set the tone for his performance, really. 
Lukaku picking the, the wrong option, uh, holding on to the ball too long, playing it into Ziyech when he was offside. And there on after, he, his touch was was really sloppy. But of course, there are occasions when he is demanding the ball to be played down the side, over the top. It was on. And too many times Chelsea players played square or played safe. And I completely agree with some of the stuff that I've I've read since since Saturday. And I think Liam said in his piece as well that he cut a frustrated figure because those balls are not coming because the chemistry is not on. But when you look at the outlay that they've they've made, these are the type of games they would have anticipated Lukaku making a difference. And at the moment, he is way off way off where he needs to be. But I think instead of ripping it up now and and going back to maybe that front three that started the Champions League final, for example, you've got to put trust in him, talk to him. And I think the next two games, perfect opportunity to not, not play necessarily with who he wants to play with or the system that he he definitely you know wants to be a part of but to play the same side the same front three or the same front two in these next two games and then you can have a period of rest play whoever you like against Plymouth stick with him for now and hopefully he can get some chemistry with someone and start scoring just to follow what Sam said um I think a lot of people were surprised by the front three that Tuchel picked. Ziyech and Pulisic either side of Lukaku. That combination hasn't played together this season until Dieti had. And it was also, as I said in my piece, the 11th different combination, either in terms of personnel or system, that Lukaku has been a part of in his 21 appearances. So I think you know that kind of alludes to the other part of this, which is I don't think Chelsea going back to the attacking lineup they had last season, the pre-Lukaku lineup, is a particularly viable option either because, you know, we we don't know at this point whether Chelsea can be an elite attack with Lukaku. You know, the, the jury's still out on that and certainly a lot of work to do. But we have a season's worth of evidence to suggest they're not one without him um, because they don't have a reliable goal scorer. And I know... You know, the team they played on Saturday, Manchester City, don't function that way. They're an incredibly democratic attack um, that really shares the goals out. But all of their players individually seem to make better decisions than Chelsea's attackers. They seem to be more ruthless with the opportunities they're, they're presented with. And the system as a whole seems to function a lot more seamlessly. Whereas Chelsea have, you know, some really impressive individual talents. I'm the first one to talk about Kai Havertz, as everyone on this podcast knows. There's a lot about his game that I like. Um, But he hasn't emerged as that reliable go-to goal scorer so far in his Chelsea career. So uh, until someone does that, there isn't really a a viable alternative to Lukaku anyway. And, and, you know, the the suggestion we were given, I think um, Tuchel actually said this to to my colleague Rafa Honigstein uh, of Sky Germany after the game, so he's a little bit frustrated that the forwards that he has, and you know this is general, so in, including Lukaku, but including everyone else he's got, that they haven't um, created more competition for places. That, that 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 they haven't really tried to put their stamp on on those positions. He's given lots of different players lots of chances at different stages of this season, and no one has really put their foot down and said, "I'm staying in this team." 
If it was you, Sam, in Lukaku's position, who would you want out of Chelsea's current options alongside you? And, and would it be a two, or you know, you as part of a two, or, or would it be a front three? I think it it has to be mixed up for for different games, but I'd probably want um, Kai Havertz in there when he's on song, dropping into the the, the space and, and playing balls down the side for me, um, getting an understanding with him. You know, on the face of it, he should be someone that he should be able to complement nicely. And um, I mean, it's easy with hindsight, isn't it, now looking at it? But, you know, to to kind of put Pulisic and, and Ziyech in, not out of nowhere, but when you've got Mason Mount, who's been arguably the most consistent of these players we're talking about, without doubt, I, I would say. He didn't play very well at Spurs. So that's probably coming to Tuchel's thinking prior to this game. Timo Werner's obviously been quite successful in his performances against Manchester City before. It, it just seemed, um, you know, now looking back that it was the wrong selection. And we'll have to wait and see what he does in the in, in the days ahead. But that, the, the ex- execution had to be better. They had to be neater when they had those opportunities. And I'm sure, you know, going into the game when they, they did a bit of shape on Friday, they'd have worked on that counter-attack and, and being sharp and getting finishes away and, that's what definitely eluded them in terms of, you know, taking more than, well, getting a point from this game. Liam, last season we spoke about whether Thomas Tuchel had spooked Pep Guardiola, you know, not just in the Champions League final, but but in the game at the Etihad and the FA Cup semi-final too. I, I wonder if the reverse was true here and, and Tuchel maybe got a bit caught up in the fact that City beat Chelsea so comprehensively, albeit only 1-0 at the, in the reverse game at Stamford Bridge. And, and that's why he felt he had to try something a little bit out of the ordinary, like Ziyech and Pulisic, when neither of those two players have been in particularly good form. You can make the argument that in both games against City, Tuchel has maybe showed them too much respect, given you know the level of success that that Chelsea enjoyed against and Tuchel enjoyed setting up against Guardiola last season. Um, you know he was very honest in the build-up to this game, saying we lost at Stamford Bridge because of my tactics, basically. Um, you know, my tactics made us too passive, too defensive. We got pinned back. Wasn't my intention, but it's what happened. And because he said that, I was actually half expecting Chelsea to come out in that 4-2-2-2 formation that we saw against Tottenham. And I, I don't think that would have been the worst idea, although obviously a little bit risky from a defensive perspective. Um, I can't really criticise Tuchel's tactical approach um, to this game too much because like I said I think two thirds of the game plan worked and I think if Chelsea had made better decisions with the the turnover opportunities they created if Lukaku had been a bit more aggressive rather than trying to find offside players and um, sort of second guess himself um, they might have scored a goal or two the entire picture looks completely different and City didn't particularly look like scoring other than that De Bruyne chance. And if you remember the game they won at the Etihad last season, they were actually, I think, worse. And Marcus Alonso got a last-minute goal um, that really covered over the fact that Chelsea had been quite outplayed in that game. So these games are always going to be close. Chelsea are always going to have to defend for for long spells. But I actually think Tuchel's tactics were okay. You You can probably question the selection, though, as you said. 
Uh, Sam, before we move on from this, Chelsea eight points clear of fifth place to Arsenal. Arsenal have two games in hand. Is there a danger that Chelsea could be caught in the race for the for the top four, just just on the basis that it might be tough to get motivated Premier League-wise now the title race is over and they've got a League Cup final, the Club World Cup, the Champions League and the FA Cup still to compete in? I don't think so. I think, you know, there's been... A number of games they should have won at Stamford Bridge where they've, they've dropped points. Um, we, we know that's why the, the deficit is such at the moment with Manchester City. The away form has been pretty good, um, you know, minus that, that that West Ham defeat. So, no, I think the strength in depth when you compare Chelsea to, to Arsenal, there's a, there's a big gulf. And I know it's not happening right now. And the, the conversation so far this morning has been dominated by it, but the forward players surely will improve and, and, and get more consistency. You know, going back to it a little bit, you'd expect maybe two or three of those guys to be out of the side now and demanding to be in the team, you know, and two or three be, you know, definite starters or right at the forefront of Thomas Tuchel's mind. And we can't say that about any of them, which is a huge surprise to me because we spoke about it so often on the podcast, the plethora of options in the forward positions. How is he going to keep them all happy at the moment? None of them are happy. It's in, it's incredible, really. So I think there'll be enough there to to turn some of those draws at Stamford Bridge into victories. And I don't see it being a, a huge concern. But of course, we, we want them to start scoring more goals and, and looking more potent going forward. They've got a fairly gentle end to the season, Premier League-wise, too. Uh, well, having been less effective at gaming the postponement system than their rivals, Chelsea back in action as soon as Tuesday. We'll look ahead to the Brighton game next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Tight turnaround for Tuchel's team then as Chelsea make the trip to the Amex Stadium to play Brighton and Hove Albion on Tuesday night. Uh, we've spoken a fair bit in our look back at City, uh, Liam, about the selection up front. What, what about elsewhere? I guess it depends on whether Andreas Christensen's available if you want to change up the defence a bit. Would there be anywhere else you'd be looking at making some, some adjustments? Well, to go back to it, I, I would... Um... I would switch to the four-two-two-two, the four-two Desmond, as I'd call it, um, <laughs> that we saw against Tottenham. I think you know against teams that aren't quite as overpowering as Manchester City can be, that system can help unlock Chelsea's attack. I think there are enough signs in both of those games against Spurs that it involves Lukaku a little bit more. It can help get him the ball in in more of the positions that he wants, um, and you just get more forwards onto the pitch. So there's that you know, more creativity and a little bit more firepower. So I, th- I think that's that's going to be important. I think you can also do that in the in the confidence of knowing that as, as well as Brighton have played Chelsea on numerous occasions when they've met, um, they don't score many goals. So I think you can afford to take that risk of one, one fewer defender. They also don't have Yves Basuma, who was excellent the last time these two teams played. He's away at the Africa Cup of Nations. Um, so, you know, I think Chelsea are well-placed to, to go and win this game, provided they set up with the appropriate attacking intent and, and really go for it from the first minute. 
Just on Basuma, Liam, have Chelsea shown much interest in him? Because he, he feels like he could be the ideal successor to, to Angolo Kante, who seems to be maybe at the beginning of the end rather than it being particularly imminent. Well, we haven't heard anything about Basuma specifically when it comes to Chelsea. He's he's one of those players that does get talked about with, with top clubs generally. And I don't watch Brighton enough to know if he plays that well every week, but I've seen him play well a lot against the big teams, um, which which speaks very highly of him. I don't know if I, he's not exactly the same as Kante, is he? I, th- I think he's probably a little bit more of a playmaker, um, a, a, more of a deep lying playmaker can certainly get up and down and, and win the ball as well. I mean, Kante is just kind of a one of a kind, but um, if that is Basuma's actual level, then yeah, certainly I think he can walk into a, a, a top team and, and at the very least make the squad better. Um, you know, I think Chelsea, from Chelsea's perspective, they're probably looking at someone like Conor Gallagher um, who can come back into the squad next year and give, you know, a few of the things that, that Kante does well, plus a few more progressive qualities that he showcased at Crystal Palace this year. So they might look to sign a midfielder this summer. Um, we haven't heard anything to suggest it's Basuma, but it, equally it wouldn't surprise me if um, Basuma does move to a bigger team soon. In terms of this game, Sam, I wonder if there might be a temptation, if, if we're trying to get Lukaku a bit more involved and, and do a bit more attacking-wise, maybe to put Hudson-Odoi at right wing-back, move Aspilicueta into the back three if Christensen's not available and just hope for a bit more attacking impetus in that way? Yeah, I've, I've written two teams down. One of them is <laughs> the the aforementioned Liam setup, which I think would would be a good idea. Um, Lukaku, for, for one, looked a bit happier in those those Spurs games. Saar could slip in at left back where he's looked pretty good. Definitely a um, Tottenham. As long as you don't ask him to cross. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but but yeah, no, I agree with that point as well, Matt. I thought um, you know Hudson Odoi would be a viable option on either side, just to give you a little bit more attacking impetus at, at wing back. Um, that said, Thomas Tuchel played Reese James at left wing back, didn't he? Up against Tarek Lamptey, so that's something that maybe comes into his his thought process. Um, I think he came on against Crystal Palace after missing a couple of games, so he may be back in the fray. So he's obviously a huge threat for for Brighton. But yeah, I think just, you know, not to start with Aspilicueta and Alonso, if it's the the usual say, uh, shape, would, wouldn't surprise me. Just to give you a little bit more going the other way, Pulisic may be an option. Uh, on, I mean, he didn't have a particularly good game. We know that, but to give them a bit more of a threat down one of the flanks, um, I could certainly see happening. Uh, Liam, there's no danger Brighton come into this game concerned their manager might jump ship for Everton, is there? I mean, why on earth would he? It, uh, yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, not just when you look at the league table, but if you look at the way Everton have been run and the kind of decisions they're making. I mean, Graham Potter turned down Tottenham, you know, not so long ago or at least distance himself from that job. And Everton are leagues below in terms of the playing squad, but also in terms of the confidence that you could have in the people running that club. The idea that they would sell Lucas Dean and then sack the reason they sold Lucas Dean (laughs) within a matter of days, uh, just bizarre. Uh, Anyway, it's Brighton that Chelsea are playing. Tuesday night, we'll look back on that, of course, in our Thursday pod. (laughs) 
Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team once again saw their game postponed this weekend. They were supposed to face Everton, but for the third time in a row, Chelsea's game was postponed. They will hopefully be in action on Wednesday night. They're due to visit West Ham in the quarterfinals of the League Cup. And the men's under-23s play Crystal Palace this lunchtime, Monday, as we record. The under-18s drew 1-1 with Brighton at Cobham in the league on Saturday. Derek Abu got the Blues goal there. Since we last spoke, they progressed in the FA Youth Cup as well. Sam, you were on hand covering this uh, for Chelsea TV. It was a bit of a thriller at Vicarage Road against Watford. Amazing game. Um, At 2-0 up, I was anticipating a safe passage into the next round, racking up the goals, five or six. And the goalkeeper, uh, Prince Adagoke, made a bit of an error, well, a large error just before half-time, and it just reignited Watford's belief. They were much better in the second half, able to take it to extra time, 2-2. And the hero of the night, really, um, Harvey Vale got the opener, and then um, they made a number of chances, really in the ascendancy in extra time, Chelsea. He scored the winning goal, and he also cleared one on almost off the line in the last knock-ins of the game. So it was an absolute thriller. I've got to say, because Watford, um, you know, gave a really good account of themselves. But um, yeah, good performance from Harvey Vale, uh, Malik Mothersill as well. Those two played as the two tens. So if we need another uh, forward to um, go and be in that first team squad, Malik Mothersill showed that he could play a different position as well. He was very impressive. So got there in the end, um, thrilling game and um, safe passage into the next round. Yeah, Mother still looks to be getting better with every game. He's definitely one uh, to keep an eye on. A couple of tidbits transfer-wise to report. Lewis Baker, out of nowhere, joined Stoke on a permanent basis over the weekend. Um, I mean, that caught my eye, Liam, because it was a permanent transfer because you see Lewis Baker and move and you think loan, but it's got to be good for him. I mean, he got off the bench against, against Hull on Sunday, so he's been involved straight away. But for him to have his future sorted, it feels big. Yeah, and it now looks like um, Tuchel gave him a little bit of a farewell, didn't he, with bringing him on against Chesterfield. You know, his his second and, and final appearance um, as a Chelsea player. Yeah, this is I think this is welcome news for everyone, isn't it? Um, he's He's had a strange career up to this point, a nomadic career. Only he can say how much he's enjoyed it. Um, he's he, He's earned reasonable money, at least. But it's time for him to get out and play and and be an important part of a an important permanent part of a team, um, and this is what this Stoke move move offers him. I've always liked Baker as a player. I remember watching him in the youth team, taking set pieces with both feet. I thought he's got great technical quality. For some reason, it just hasn't really happened for him in the senior game up to now. But I look forward to seeing what he can do at Stoke, and I, I hope it works out for him. Uh, a player who is shining in the championship at the moment, who's still on Chelsea's books, is Levi Colwell. David Ornstein reporting in his Monday column for The Athletic that he'll remain at Huddersfield for the rest of the season. He had been attracting interest from Premier League sides, but his deal with the Terriers could only be terminated early if he hadn't reached a certain threshold of appearances, which he already has. Uh, Sam, you and I keep a close eye on the championship. Huddersfield, one of the surprise packages there in this season, and, and Colwell's been a massive part of that. Yeah, the supporters are absolutely raving about him. I think his consistency of his performance has been outstanding. He's missed the last couple, I think, with a, a slight knee injury. But yeah, I mean, it, the system suits him down to the ground. He's playing left of a of a, of a three. I wasn't overly enamoured with 
the business that they did really coming into this season. So I think to be seventh in the league has exceeded loads of expectation. And I think he's a massive part of that. So it makes sense, I think, for him to to stay there. That said, he would obviously bring great competition or obviously be another option at the left side of that that back three. But no, I keep him where he is for now. And, you know, hopefully they can, can go close, you know, to promotion. You know, definitely got the playoffs in their sights. I guess what that also does, Liam, is, is sugar the pill somewhat for those Chelsea fans who are so disappointed about the exits of, of Mark Gurhey and Kyo Tomori over the summer. Yeah, and, and the advantage that Colwell has over both those guys is that he's a natural left footer, um, which which makes him a really rare, valuable type of player. You know, m- most top teams are looking for a natural left-sided centre-back who can give you the defensive fundamentals but is also really comfortable on the ball um, and making decisions in possession. And Colwell, it's early days, obviously he's still developing, but he's showing really promising signs in all of those areas and really good consistency in the championship. Everything I hear is that you know Chelsea are delighted with the progress that he's been making. Um, I think it's interesting because he's not the only person we've heard this about now Chelsea having this kind of minimum appearance threshold for these recall clauses in loans I think that's it's a smart thing obviously that they're doing to give themselves some flexibility for loans that aren't working out Um, but it also gives these guys stability you know I think probably benefits Colwell rather than going somewhere else mid-season and having to readjust to a new team potentially a higher level uh, without a pre-season at least he gets to stay maintain his momentum and then reassess things in the summer and he can come back and actually Tuchel can have a chance to look at him and he could end up following the Trevor Chalaber trajectory. Who knows? Another man will be hoping to do that, I think, is Armando Brozier, although maybe not. The Athletic's Dan Sheldon reporting it's more probable that he'll either return to Stamford Bridge in the summer or be sold. Southampton would desperately like to keep him. No surprise he's been so good for them. Um but Sam, we've been talking about front three options not doing particularly well. Maybe if there's ever a time for Brozier to come back and, and actually impact Chelsea's first team, it would be this summer. If he, if he finishes the season the way he started with Southampton, he, he would have made a case for himself at least. I think he would have done. And I think the performances have surprised me a little bit. I think, again, um, not that I wasn't impressed with him when I've seen him perform for the, the academy sides and you know when he's joined with the first team. Um, was it away at Bournemouth, wasn't it, in pre-season? I think he, he played and scored. Um, I think it's the clinical element to his game that has shocked me a little bit because I didn't think he was... Uh, I, I didn't think he was someone that was going to get one chance in a game and finish. I think he needed a few chances. Sometimes I'd seen him being a little bit wasteful. So that has been something that has been remarkably strong about his performances for Southampton. You know, not getting an abundance of chances, but but taking them and, and winning points for his side. So, yeah, I think that, that catapults him definitely into the into the thought process of the, the manager for, for next season, if not this. So, yeah, he's had a, he's had a brilliant start to his, his first team career and the power as well, running with the ball. It's a bit Diego Costa-esque, isn't it, I suppose? You know, getting fight balls on the halfway line and all of a sudden he's in the shooting position or in the final third able to to deliver for a teammate. So looks like a really exciting prospect doing fantastically well. 
Five goals in the Premier League this season, only 20. He's already got 10 Albania caps and three goals with them. I guess, though, Liam, that it would be dependent on a Ziyech, a Werner, a Pulisic maybe leaving in the summer to, to free up a space for, for Brozier. Yeah, but I think there's, I think if you're Brozier, there's reasonable cause for optimism on that front because the current morass of Chelsea's attack with no one really, you know, establishing themselves at the top of that hierarchy, I think if that persists for the rest of the season, we will get to next summer and one or two of those players will be looking to leave. Um, you know, at the moment, Timo Werner's near the bottom. Timo Werner and Pulisic are the two that are at the bottom in terms of minutes across all competitions. We'll see if that stays the same or if it changes, but whoever ends up at the bottom of that particular table, I think, um, could be looking to move on. Uh, listener, I'm sure you didn't need to, but I've just looked up the word morass. It is an area of muddy or boggy ground. Uh, Sam knew that anyway. <laughs> All right, before we go, Liam, tell us what you're working on for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Oof. Um, I don't think I'll be writing about Lukaku for a while because <laughs> I've kind of referenced him in the last two pieces and there are more footballers playing for Chelsea. Um, yeah, the one thing I can definitely say, um, because it's got a clear time frame, is um, I'll have a column going up on Cesar Espilicueta and his whole contract situation. Um, that, that, that should be up on The Athletic on Tuesday, so give that a read. Athletic subscribers can also peruse Michael Cox's tactical breakdown of Saturday's game. That's up on the site now. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Right. We'll be back on Thursday when we'll reflect on the Brighton game and hopefully some women's team action as well as looking ahead to the final part of the January Chelsea versus Tottenham trilogy. Many thanks to Sam, to Liam and to producer Lucy for their help today and to you listener. We'll speak to you again on Thursday. Until then, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic.